Howdy. Hello? Okay. Hold oh, on. there you are. Yeah, my my daughter likes to unplug my YouTube <laughs> from the computer, so I was like, oh, got the headphones on, and Skype isn't noticing anything. So there you go. Uh, the joys of having children. Yes. Yes. The, go and have two or three of them. They're <laughs> they they make your life awesome. You're listening to just one of the guys. We're like Wayne Coyne. Your hosts are waiting for Superman without the illicit drug use. Another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show dedicated to bringing you coverage of the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, my two favorite Green Lanterns and the favorite Green Lantern of uh, hopefully one of the people who's going to be on the show as well as me. Um, today we're going to be covering, uh, obviously, Green Lantern number 46, which has a special tie-in with the Reign of the Superman story. Um, Superman, I guess, had something go wrong with him, and now there's a bunch of Superman, and I don't know, I think this is a story that other podcasts have covered, and you probably had to go listen to that. We're also going to be covering sort of the wrap-up of the Yesterday's Sin storyline. We're going to be looking at a episode or an issue of Justice League America, number 83, which is the first part of the Trouble with Guy storyline, as well as Guy Gardner, number 15, which is the obviously the second part of the Trouble with Guy storyline, which kind of gives a conclusion to what was happening with Guy as he was trapped up in space and cloned and probed by aliens. It'll all make sense in the end. But first of all, let me get this out of the way. I have an extra special guest on the show today. He's the host of the Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast that covers the golden age of Superman. Everything, including radio shows, action comics, Superman comics. He, he's done wonderful interviews, and it's a great show to listen to. He's also uh, the co-host, along with Jeffrey Taylor and J. David Weiner, of the Green Lantern's Light podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Michael Bradley. Hey, everybody. How's it going, Michael? Bed. And I, I, I have promised myself that <laughs> there will be no underscoring of certain type of music that I know that you are just a huge fan of. I, I promised myself that I won't do that. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm at a loss. I, I, I was going to make a, a joke and it left. So. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. It's early. 
for me. So. Yeah, and well, it's it's really for me as well. That's like noon, but you know, when you work <laughs> nights, any time before one o'clock is really fun. exactly yes. But uh, we're gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, throw a couple of promos in here uh, for some podcast, possibly podcast of uh, one of the people who was on the show today. And I'm sure those are really good podcasts. Yeah, uh, as opposed to the other podcasts, which are just kind of mediocre. So we'll go uh, throw in some promos, and uh, after we get back from that, we'll have uh, my esteemed guest give you his synopsis of Green Lantern number 46. In a world where planets die. I have come to the conclusion Krypton is doomed. Did I hear him right? Where good and evil fight a never-ending battle. But millions of people will die. Millions! Once again, the press underestimates me. One man will become a hero. Every world needs its heroes, Clark. They inspire us to be better than we are. Protect us from the darkness that's just around the corner. One man will rise to the challenge. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! One man will wear spandex. Well, one thing's for sure, nobody's going to be looking at your face. Mom? Well, they don't call them tides for nothing. <laughs> Presenting The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at GreatCrypton.com. Hey, Obi-Wan, your lightsaber's showing. Take a bath, Pete. Live long in Such it, Frodo. I'm sick of being a goddamn scarecrow. I'll give this podcast thing a try. From very fine to near mint. What a man. Size matters not. Two true freaks. And we're back. So let's go ahead, and Michael's going to take over this part of the show and uh, give you his coverage of Greenlander number 46. All right. Well, like uh, Sean said, this is a. It's bannered as a tie in with Reign of the Superman. Um, all the issues of Reign of the Superman had a part number, like. You know, part one, part two, part three. Um, this one is bannered as a as a tie-in to the cross or the the storyline, but it doesn't have a part number. But the the events happen pretty much concurrently with Superman number eighty-two, which was the conclusion to the storyline. Uh, but it was cover dated October nineteen ninety-three and released around August twenty-fourth, nineteen ninety-three. 
Uh, cover is by M.D. Bright and Romeo Tangal. The story inside is called Death City. Credits are Gerard Jones, writer, M.D. Bright, penciler, Romeo Tangal, inker, Albert de Guzman, letterer, Anthony Tallin, colorist, Eddie Berganza, assistant editor, and Kevin Dooley, editor. As a newly returned yet still powerless Superman gets his S handed to him by Mongol, Green Lantern Hal Jordan flies over the remnants of Coast City, which is now rebuilt as the horrific Engine City. Hal evades defense missiles and Mongol's alien hordes, choosing to focus his rage on the one responsible for the destruction of his home and the deaths of millions. Outside of town, Carol Ferris talks to police about the whereabouts of Tom Kamaku and then puts in a worried call to Dinah Lance before heading back to town, only to be stopped cold when she sees the city is no more. Back in Engine City, Hal and Mongol engage in a brutal battle. The two trade blow after blow, and Hal hangs on, but is bruised and bloodied for his trouble, while Mongol simply laughs. Finally, Hal channels his anger and summons his innermost strength. He dons some ring-generated armor and uses Steel's hammer to slam the alien tyrant backward, defeating him. Hal then flies to the heart of Engine City and joins Supergirl, Superboy, and Steel, who are outside the main chamber. Using a ring-generated battering ram, the four heroes bust inside, and as the smoke and dust settle, they watch as Superman strikes his final defeating blow against the cyborg. Soon, Superman and the other S-clad heroes take their leave. Hal flies over the remnants of Engine City, mourning the loss of his city, his home, and his friends. He then sees Carol and the two embrace. Carol says the two have much to talk about, but they must deal with another emergency first, because Green Arrow and Tom have been kidnapped, and it's all her fault. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, uh, the reign of the Superman, the whole death of Superman and return of Superman story is, in my opinion, some of the best stuff that's actually been ever put into comics. And the fact that they were able to bring Green Lantern into it, even in a sort of ancillary way, was really nice. But yeah. uh, for, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and head with my notes. Oh, go ahead. The unfortunate thing is, well, maybe not the unfortunate thing is, but this still is essentially a Green Lantern book. Yes, it has sort of ancillary ties to the uh, end of the reign of the Superman story, but it still focuses on Green Lantern. And I, I like that. I like the fact that Gerard Jones is giving us a Green Lantern story, but also keeping uh, in mind the ongoing story that he's had going on in the story, especially this part with uh, Carol and this thing with Crosswind Cor- Corporation and the thing with Tom Kalmaku trying to figure out what's going on with it. It's a nice blending of the two stories. And although Superman is in here, and I wish he had more to do in here because – Whenever Superman comes into a story, he he amplifies amplifies it and raises it to a new level. This is definitely Hal's story. Um, and I know your synopsis was a little short, but it's kind of difficult. This story is a very visual heavy story. It's uh it's a you know I know Thomas DJ calls these things punchy punchy run run <laughs> stories. And that's essentially what it is. It's a bunch of fights, but with M.D. Bright's art, uh, looking at some of the visuals of this fight is really awesome. Um, 
as for starting out with notes, the cover, it's a really good cover of uh, Hal and Mongol fighting above one of the uh, like smokestacks of Engine City. Um, the only uh, weird thing about the cover is is the Eradicator, or as I like to call him, Elsoc, and the Cyborg Superman on the cover. It really looks like someone just took their Reign of Superman color form set, just <laughs> peeled these things off and put them on there because yeah. the artwork just doesn't look it doesn't look the same. The the artwork for Hal and Mongol look really crisp and detailed and these look kind of blocky and the, the inking's really thick on them, so it's it's a weird sort of you know, addition to the cover. Um again, promoting MD Bright's art. Uh, a great two-page splash on pages two and three with Hal flying into Engine City where Coast City is and all the missiles coming at him. Uh, Hal looks really good. His perspective's spot on. He doesn't have the sort of little tiny feet that I've seen him drawn in certain issues. Uh, again, I'm going to harp on M.D. Bright's uh, artwork here. It's really good stuff. Uh, let's see. Moving on. Pages six and seven. We've got more great art uh, as Hal goes to uh, tackle Mongol, and uh, there's a lot of almost Kirby tech in here. I wonder if M.D. Bright was trying to sort of channel that. But looking at this panel and Hal yelling Mongol, I I can only think that you know Superman did it better in that Superman Annual number eleven. You know mm-hmm. because you know uh, and. Uh, See, I know Mongol was around a lot before that annual, but I think that annual, and at least for me, especially the Justice League Unlimited episode, really defined Mongol as a character. You know, I'd seen the episodes before with him on War World and the uh, Superman, the animated series, but uh, the fact that they were to adapt that annual, and uh, even with taking out the character of Robin in it, uh, really was amazing, but... I'm I'm getting off that and I'm getting off the Green Lantern issue because I I love that episode so much. Um, page eight, panel four. Uh, I'm looking. I know this is supposed to be Dinah Lance. I know this is supposed to be um, Black Canary, and I know she wears a, a blonde wig whenever she's out fighting in her fishnets, or maybe she was in her Flash Dance uniform at this time. I can't remember. But I had a similar thought. But um, I'm looking. I'm looking at her right now. And I don't think that's Dinah. I think that's Susan Powder. And I think she's wanting everyone to stop the insanity. Stop the insanity! <laughs> Sorry, I, there's a dated yeah. reference for you. Uh, let's see. Well, that was out around this time, wasn't it? Well, yeah, because um, I'm trying to remember. I know she was one of the first... The reason I the the thing I remember from of her most, aside from the you know commercials of her stop the insanity and how to eat correctly and everything, was her doing a guest spot on like the very first episode of Space Ghost Coast to Coast, and I just love that show for its quirky weirdness. And yeah, I'm thinking it came out right around this time. So yeah, she it, was. It did. Okay. That 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 makes perfect. Maybe uh, M.D. Bright was taking a bit. Yeah, she had a show, a television show that started in '94. Yeah, well, that that would perfectly make sense. You know, I know she was. I know the show had to come out after she did her whole uh, book deal and everything, because that's usually how those things work. She got popular with the yeah. book and everything, and then that, so maybe there was a bit of uh, design taken from Susan Powder put into Dinah. So 
it works. It's not a good look for Dinah, though. No, it's not. I, especially when you look at her character as Black Canary, it just it diminishes her. I mean, uh, she's supposed to be the sexy sort of vixen character, and when we see her in these sweatpants and cutoff shirt, she looks she like I said, she looks like Susan Powder. She doesn't look very uh, feminine. So it's it's not a it's not a bad look, but it's just I guess it's a way that she can have her sort of secret identity. Yeah. You know, this way when she's walking around, people aren't going, "Hey, that that woman right there, that looks oddly like the woman in fishnets and you know, <laughs> you know, high heels that kicked her butt last night." I don't I don't get it. So, uh, let's see. Moving on, uh, we'll go ahead and move on to page fourteen, which is a uh, which basically Mongol kicks Hal into the ceiling, and uh, I guess it's page 14, panel 4. We see Hal's uh, left arm, and his arm is horribly broken. All I can, th- I mean, it is his hand is pointing up, so you've got to think that his arm is fractured or completely twisted out of uh, the elbows, twisted out of socket because. That looks horrible right there. Um, let's and see. And it's an especially chilling panel with just Mongol laughter. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. Uh, and and you can all uh, you know I again I hearken back to the uh, to the Justice League Unlimited episode. It, it was Eric Roberts who did the voice of Mongol, right? Am I thinking correctly? Oh, I don't know about that. Was it? I, I think it was because I know it was Michael Ironside who dar- who did Darkseid. And I want to say it was Eric Roberts that did, um, but uh, you're the, right. I just looked it up. You're right. And he, he, you know, it was, it was a surprising role for him, but he brought that sort of menace. And you know, I can't not hear anything but Eric Roberts whenever I see these, whenever I read these panels. Huh. Um, let's see, page uh, sixteen, panel one, kind of a lame uh, send off for. For or a lame insult that Hal's giving to Mongol, saying, "Your day is over, crud, <laughs> crud." Really, that's that's yeah. your wrathful, defiant catchphrase, crud. And and then of course, um, just the uh, page opposite to that. If you're looking in the comic, I just want to sit and stare at that for a while. The 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 Grummet and Hazelwood picture of Superman, mm-hmm. because you know, as I've told you before. It's not that I'm not it's not that I'm a Superman hater. I love Superman. I just didn't follow him that much. And looking at this art, I want to go pick up some of the stuff cuz that that's some good that's a good looking Superman there. Yeah, I never get tired of Tom Grummet's Superman. Let's see. Uh moving on to page uh page 19. Uh as much as I love MD Bright's art, he doesn't get Superboy right. I mean, uh, I know, I know they had some problems, especially with Superboy's hair, and I know people, a lot of people have complained about Superboy's hair, but it looks just different. And he doesn't, he doesn't really look boyish. He looks kind of like just a small man. So, I don't know. I just wasn't really all into that. Plus, also. Um, in panel four, where uh, Hal breaks into the uh, inner chamber with a battering ram, he says, uh, radiation, I'd better put us in a protective bubble. And I'm like, how do you know there's radiation? I mean, you 
can't really see it. I mean, you can see maybe steam or smoke or whatever. And I didn't say how saying, oh, the rings detected radiation. So that's just that's just me being nitpicky. You can't see radiation. It's just one of those things. Uh, page 20, uh, panel 5, Superman. Uh, it, that, that's awesome. He is awesome. Even though he's not in the red and blue, even though he doesn't have the S-shield, he is Superman right there. That, and that is just, you know, I know it was also sort of mirrored from uh, issue 82, and this is kind of images from that, but M.D. Bright does a really great job of drawing him here. And even if he does have the longer hair, which I know is a point of contention for some people, it looks good. He he looks super. Yeah. And uh, last note is uh, page 22, panel 6. Great. Green Arrow. We're going to have to have a story with Green Arrow, so... You don't like I, the Green Arrow, Green Lantern? Uh, you know, I I think I was turned off initially with the whole um, with the whole spiel, with the, the, the tenement guy, the old guy coming up mm. to the Green Lantern and saying, you know, you've done this for the orange skins, you've done this for the blue skins, but what have you done for the black skins? And the... I know they were trying to be socially relevant, Denny O'Neill and... Uh, uh, was trying to be really relevant during that, but it just got very heavy handed. And I like green arrow as a character when he's, when he's going out and kicking ass, but when he's turned into, uh, just this diatribe, uh, this, this horrible liberal stereotype, I don't like it. And it's the same way thing that I don't like when they make guy, this ultra right wing Reagan conservative, I mean, just have the characters. If that's part of the character's background, let it be known. But don't make that the defining thing of their character. I right. I really don't like that, and that's that's the one thing that I dislike about Green Arrow. But that's my notes. Uh, take it away, Mike. All right. Well, on the cover, uh, kind of like you, it, it does kind of feel like the uh, Eradicator and, and Cyborg figures were just kind of tacked on there. And I know they were facing an uphill battle with this cover because it's – like you said, it's a Green Lantern story, but they have to get the Superman characters on there for marketing purposes and because it ties into that. So, And, and really one of my problems is we see the Cyborg and the Eradicator fighting, but that never happens in this issue. Yeah, and it doesn't even happen – I mean – by issue 82, if I remember, the cyborg – or not the cyborg, but uh, the Eradicator was pretty much out of commission, wasn't he? Yes. So, yeah, he comes back in at the end of 82, and he plays a, a pretty big part in the end of it. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that he does happens between the panels and what we see in this issue. Yeah. So – but, I mean, it, it, it's okay structurally, and all the characters look good. It just doesn't yeah, it, fit the story as well as it could have. True. Uh, but pages one to three, like you said, a couple nice splash pages to open the story. I wonder if some people reading Green Lantern at the time weren't thrown for a loop. I mean, the reign of the Superman was pretty ubiquitous with comics and media and advertisements. But if you were only reading Green Lantern and not really paying much attention to what was going on elsewhere, you open this issue with a black-clad, long-haired Superman beaten at the hand of Mongol. Mm. And – 
Engine City is in the place of Coast City, and Hal is suddenly back from space after all that Trinity stuff. The reader is thrown into the, the very deep end of the final chapter of a long story that was running in four other books with very little context as to what's going on. Yeah, exactly. There wasn't really any mention of what was going on except for in uh, last issue, number 45, you get uh, like a one-panel shot of uh, Carol talking to Clay Kendall, mm-hmm. and Clay looks out the window and says, I hear something, and the next thing you see this explosion in Coast City. I right. mean, that's all you get from this, and yes, if you weren't following the Superman books, which, you know, why weren't you? Because they're awesome. Uh, you wouldn't even know what's going on here. Yeah, so I agree. It could take you a bit it could take you back. It t- could take you back a bit. Now, in their defense, I don't know what they could have done. There really, I think, needed to be an issue between the end of Trinity and this one that showed how coming back from space, and then the final page could be him flying over Coast City, shocked that it's destroyed. And then you start this issue, you know, massage this opening text a bit to, to fill in the very basic essentials of the reign of the Superman. Or maybe do that in the previous issue, and, and then away you go. Um, I, I really like this issue, but I think its biggest flaw is that if you don't know what's going on in the Superman books, you're going to be kind of lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Well, I'm wondering if they were uh, up with a deadline, because I know in, in, in talks with other podcasters, there was some controversy about uh, the way Green Lantern was going to uh, – progress on and how it did progress on so there may have been problems with editorial and problems with uh, gerard jones and where he wanted to take the book that kind of led to a limitation of how he could carry out this story um are you aware of the original uh plan for emerald twilight okay yes i I, i've talked to actually i've talked a lot with thomas dj about that and uh, uh i'm hoping that we'll eventually be able to talk with him about the, the actual what was actually supposed to go on with that in a later episode, but uh, yeah, it it was uh, dramatically different from what actually happened, and I actually think it might have been uh, an interesting concept, especially if they would have uh, followed it up in a certain way um, to to sort of foreshadow what was supposed to go on. I think there was supposed to be a schism between. Uh, members of the Guardians and the Corps, and how Jordan was supposed to sort of lead a sort of revolt against them, if I'm thinking right. Something along those lines, yeah. And uh, what Thomas DJ and put forth, and I thought this would have been a really good idea as well, was that even if Hal does leave the uh, Corps, uh, he allows Kyle to come in, spoilers, and uh, he sort of is kind of the trainer for Kyle. He's sort of the mentor for him, and he's kind of like an Alan Scott character. And I think, you know, if they would have carried on with something like that, that would have worked just well, just as well, and it probably would have it probably would have diminished the whole negative feeling that a lot of people got when what happened to Hal happened. Right. So I mean, this is this is a twenty year old comic. I think I'm certain everyone knows about it and I'm certain Hal and the you know, New Fifty Two mentions every five minutes. You know about who he was. So, hey, did you know that back here I was this? I was Parallax. <laughs> so, I used to be evil. <laughs> um, pages four and five 
really this applies to the whole issue, but it starts here for the most part. When I reread this issue for the show, my initial reaction was to poke fun at Hal's narration throughout the entire issue. Mm-hmm. It's just very dark and angry and bitter, almost Frank Miller Batman-ish. Yes. But, but the more I thought about it, if I were in Hal's shoes and came home to find my city destroyed, I'd be pretty ticked too. Well, not only the city, but his family, right. his loved ones. I mean, and, and he's he's a hero who wields, you know, the the most powerful weapon in the universe. He can do almost anything he wants to do with it. I could see him wanting to basically find out who did this and go have a little beat down with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I might say, though, is that it m- might not be quite enough. I mean, the anger is there, but... Nowhere do you really get that mournful pain of a loss like that. Mm. I mean, maybe it just hasn't hit him yet, but it kind of comes off as a little shallow because of that. No, I but, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, but I understand what Gerard Jones was, why he did it. Yeah, well, and I think I think that may be something that they take into account and they further uh, explore in later issues. Uh, up until issue 50 is you know his dealings of grief and anger and what that makes him do right. uh, I think Gerard Jones uh, I think this was all uh, you know I'm just clutching or I'm just uh, shooting at the breeze here that I think Gerard Jones wasn't aware of what editorial had in mind and he had a storyline in his brain written out of how how would deal with the grief of this so you yeah. never know it's it's one of those the the road's not taken. Yeah. Uh, pages six and seven, another nice double page splash and a prelude to a very physical fight that we're going to get here in a couple pages. Uh, page eight, I had a note about Dinah, which we mm-hmm. <laughs> already talked about. Um, the eighties call, they want their fashion back. <laughs> uh, pages nine to 18. I'm just going to cover all these at once because it's a big fight. And I told Sean off air, I kind of felt bad that my synopsis was so short because the, the fight between Hal and Mongol is the crux of the issue, and it takes up a good 10 or 11 pages. But when you do synopses, it's just hard to, to do a fight without you know doing a, a basic play-by-play. So I kind of had to well, do it in just a couple sentences. It's, it's a, it would be – I think it would be really boring for the listener if we said, okay, Hal punches a Mongol. Yeah. Mongol throws Hal into a uh, – uh, a railing. I I think it's sometimes brevity is, is essential in especially covering these very visual uh, dealings in the comic. Right. But I loved this fight. Like I said, it was a very brutal and physical fight. If you notice, Hal uses very few constructs. He generates a giant clamp when he's going to pull the roof down, and later he hits the floor by Mongol with an energy blast. But other than that, it's all just fists and fury from both characters, which mm-hmm. I think it needed to be that way. Normally, I might complain that he's using his fists rather than his ring because he's a Green Lantern and the ring is, ring is his shtick. But given the destruction of the city and Hal's understandable anger over that, it needed to be this physical confrontation. I agree. They do kind of at one point throw in the fact that uh, he can't affect Mongol because Mongol is yellow. But uh, mm-hmm. I also have to say that Hal rams into him, and plus the only 
parts of him are yellow are his skin, and he's pretty much covered up by his big uh, purple and silver jumpsuit. So, <laughs> you know, grab a hold of his legs with, you know, a clamp or some irons, fling him around, right. and throw him into the sun. Superman would approve. <laughs> yes, he would. Um, and to me, Hal Jordan is the kind of guy that shouldn't mind getting in there once in a while and fighting with his bare knuckles. I mean, he was in the Air Force, so he would have basic hand-to-hand fighting skills. Mm-hmm. My only real complaint is on page 10. I don't think Hal should be able to lift Mongol over his head. I mean, they kind of explain it as an, an adrenaline thing, but come on. Mongol's a hoss and has gone toe-to-toe with Superman. True. Hal's just a guy. He shouldn't be that strong. But Well, you, I guess they kind of... You know, he's got the ring aura around him, so you kind of think that yeah. he's enhancing his strength with the ring aura. But but still, and even in this panel, he looks a bit more muscular than he usually does. I mean, he looks Superman ripped, and I, I don't think your yeah. basic other heroes should look as big as Superman. No, no, you're right. And even I'm kind of a, of the, the preference that Superman shouldn't even be the big ripped bodybuilder body type either i, I kind of like the more uh athletic obviously but more the christopher reeve mm-hmm. body type for superman uh, but other than that one little thing it's just a, a really great fight i even liked the ring generated armor at the end normally that might be a little cheesy but it's it's the big triumphant hero moment and i think it came off well yes plus he only wore it for that one moment and then went back to his regular costume which mm-hmm. really helped Pages 19 to 20, the dialogue on these two pages, uh, not the narration, but just the dialogue, is lifted directly from Superman number 82. These scenes take place there, too. Uh, the panels are a little different because they were drawn by Dan Jurgens and Brett Breeding, but the dialogue is word for word. So that's a nice bit of uh, collaboration between the two uh, titles. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, especially the... This is for you, Cyborg. This is your doomsday. That's an, another awesome line from Superman as he just punches the Cyborg Superman. Yeah. And I didn't think about it until you were doing your notes, but I think this is the first time that Superboy and Steel and really the, the Cyborg too, even though you don't see much of him, have appeared in comics that weren't the Superman titles. You know, yeah, I think about the now that you say that. Uh, aside from like annuals and everything that, right? The, they they've all been relegated to the Superman title. So yeah, this is was this was is, the bloodbath thing. No, they were still doing the bloodlines annuals at this point, weren't they? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Okay. Bloodbath is better forgotten anyway. Um. <laughs> uh, you're not going to get any argument from me, sir. Yeah. Um, but I like the art in this issue too. I I wish. M.D. Bright would have gotten a uh, at least a short run on Superman at mm-hmm. some point. He has drawn the character a few times, but um, I, I would have really liked to have seen him just be able to sink his teeth into the character, especially with the right inker. I, I'm not sure that Romeo Tangal is the greatest inker for him. Uh, he kind of gives the work a little a little too scratchy for my taste, but but uh, the, but the art throughout the whole thing is pretty good. No, I'll, I'll agree with you there. There there are some good shots of. Uh, of Bright doing Superman, especially I'm looking here at page 21, him flying off there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I could kind of comment. Uh, uh, Michael and Jeffrey commented with uh, Hal 
with his uh, arm in a cast and his knee sort of braced up, saying to Superman, hey, you deserve a break. We'll mop up here and take care of uh, the Eradicator and incarcerate Mongol. Hey, uh, you, you just died. Uh, we'll take care of the giant city that destroyed an entire town. Go, go be with your wife and everything. Even though you're Superman and you're the most powerful being on the planet, well, we'll, we'll take care of it. Go have some alone time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard their coverage. I, I've well, I've been busy and I'm way behind oh, yeah. on a lot of podcasts. But I also intentionally kind of stopped listening to their coverage when I knew I was going to come on here because I didn't want them to oh, okay. their thoughts to influence mine. But um, but did did DC continuity is so weird? Was the Justice League aware of Superman's secret identity at this point? I know Batman knew it, but I did how I. Don't know. I've never in in all my coverage of um, Green Lantern. I don't think there's ever been a uh, mention that Hal has called him Clark. And even in uh, my readings of Justice League America and Justice League Europe, I don't really recall. I think it may still. I think um, I think Hal may still think of or Hal may not know Superman's actual secret identity so it may still be a mystery to him because i know like at the end of the action comics weekly era they were going to do that neil gaiman story and they scuttled it because it involved hal and clark hanging out and editorial said no they don't know each other's identities anymore but this is several years later well that's that's the that's the kind of neat thing and the kind of odd thing about the especially the green lantern books they've kind of played fast and loose with the whole idea of the crisis. And I know uh, in your guys' coverage of uh, of the stories in Green Lantern's Light, a lot of stuff that has been wiped away in the crisis is still uh, talked about and remembered by members of the Green Lantern Corps. So uh, yeah. there, there are mentions here uh, in recent issues of things that happened pre-crisis. Uh, one of the big ones that we're following up or that I'm following up in the story is uh, the whole thing with Olivia Reynolds and the Ergono, which was something that came up in like the Flash issues in like the 30s. So, or uh, not in the 1930s, but in the 30s <laughs> issues wise. But uh, so it's kind of it's kind of up in the air whether or not Hal actually knew whether Superman was actually Clark Kent. Yeah. So anyway. Um... But overall, I thought this was a really good issue. I mean, I had my complaints, and I, I think they're um, still valid that the readers were just kind of thrown into things. But that's really one of the only faults of the issue. Like I said, the uh, the crux of the issue was the fight between Mongol and and uh, the cyborg and Hal and Superman, and you know, getting some manner of vengeance against the one that destroyed his home and killed millions of people. And on that level, it was a really Exciting read, and, and, and it really works. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm glad, you know, like I've said, I'm glad that Gerard Jones is still seeding the issue with uh, ideas that are his own. Yes. Uh, over the past few issues, he's been had to, he's had the book drawn into these sort of overarching storylines, and he's able to maintain his idea for the book as well and uh i guess in the next issue we're gonna 
get back to and hopefully conclude the whole storyline with this whole thing with the Crosswinds Corporation and why Carol is acting so wonky. So we'll see if that pans out. But next, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'll, no, I'll talk no, no, to you I'll, off air. Okay. Well, I, I will go ahead and then uh, since I'm done with notes, if you're done with notes, mm-hmm. uh, I will go ahead and we'll take a break here. Uh, probably go get a drink or something, and uh, I will play a couple of promos. And when we come back, we'll start with uh, a little bit of coverage of Justice League number 83, and then move on to Guy Gardner number 15. So stay tuned. Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. We were created, but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green, Green Lantern's, Lantern's light. light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. Penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You are changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon, the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You cosmics can't change the way I can. But these are the most powerful 
I've been expecting you. For I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the fantastic four are no more and the banter is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatans, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or hold. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him to the drain of all elemental life. So, speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. ffcast.libsyn.com And we're back. So, we're going to have to take a look at a few issues, well, kind of look at a few issues of the Justice League of America, because it kind of leads into what's happening in Guy Gardner 15, which is the story that we actually want to cover here. This so, is the dedication that Sean puts into the show, and that he reads not one, but two bad issues <laughs> just to have complete coverage of Guy Gardner. Yeah, well, I, I was kind of used to it uh, over the past couple of episodes with having to deal with the uh, Dark Star and Legion stories. I mean, yeah. it's not that they were bad, it was just it wasn't what I wanted to cover. I was yeah. in Green Lantern, and they might be interesting, and there might be a lot of people who fall on them, but I've looked around the internet and haven't really seen any Dark Star podcast popping up, so just says something. If there's a Guy Gardner podcast and not a Dark Star one, got to kind of wonder. But um, prior to the story in Justice League uh, 83, in Justice League 82, the League is dealing with a couple of alien fugitives named Blake and Corbett, who look far too much like Gambit from the 1990s X-Men comic. The, these two aliens are wanted for crimes that they're accused of committing against an alien race known as the Karelians. Uh, the Justice League is take, have taken in the two to make sure that they're properly tried before they're extradited and summarily executed. Uh, Blake and Corbett repay the League's hospitality by trying to pull a Dr. Light and raping fire and killing League member the Ray. The duo are then subdued by Captain Adam in the League, only to have Guy Gardner ring-blast a hole in Blake's chest in front of the assembled heroes and pretty much the world. Which leads us up to uh, Justice League number 83, which had a cover date of December 1993 and a release date of October 19, 1993, with a cover price of $1.50 US, $1.95 Canada, and 70 pence UK. Uh, the title this time was uh, The Trouble with Guys, Part 1. Uh, the writer was Dan Vado, or Vado, not certain how you pronounce it. Penciler was Kevin Rust. Inker was Rick Burchett. Colorist was Gene D'Angelo. Letterer was Tim Harkins. Assistant editor was Ruben Diaz. And the editor was Brian Augustine. The League and those who have been arguing with the League stand horrified at having witnessed Guy Gardner killing the fugitive Blake. As the alien captain, Embal, indignantly tells Wonder Woman, he would have at least had a trial off-world if he had been handed over, and would not have been summarily executed. Disgusted with what he's witnessed, he leaves the planet and vows to ensure that the soul system is off-limits until Earth's human rights improve. In the wake of this, Wonder Woman declares that the League's top priority must be to tra track Guy Gardner down and bring him to justice. With the help of Captain Adam and the original Flash, they spread out in search of him, also learning that their friend Ice is in trouble and needs her help. 
When they encounter Guy, he is more brutal than even he is generally expected to be, and he makes no allowances for fighting his friends. Eventually, Captain Adam subdues him, just as another Guy Gardner appears on the scene. And if that doesn't sound like my brilliant uh, synopsis, well, it's because I was lazy and I just pulled this off a Wikipedia page, so... Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes but, that's the best way to go. Yeah. Well, it, um, it's not that this was a bad issue, but it definitely wasn't a good issue. The artwork in it... Uh, I really don't know all that much about Kevin West stuff, but he draws some really, really odd versions of the heroes. Uh, uh, essentially, I, I really don't have any notes for this. Do you have any uh, for this, Michael? No? Just really, I only had two Green Lantern-centric notes. Uh, one on page 11, when Hal shows up, I thought it was nice that he was wearing the sling. Just a nice bit of continuity from his own title that could have been easily overlooked. And then the, just an overall note about the, the fight between Pseudo-Guy and the League. I just kept asking myself why they didn't just dogpile him instead of sending in Booster Gold and the Ray one at a time. But Yeah, well, uh, I don't get it. Yeah, they've got Max, Maxima and Bloodwind. Why? Um, sitting there watching the Ray sort of uh, beat on Guy and not helping. I mean, if Guy has killed someone and they want to take him to justice, why don't they all just go and take him out? But no, yeah. let's let one guy take him on at a time. That's the best way to do it. So, not the not the most stellar moment for the Justice League. But yeah. of course, in my opinion, these issues of the Justice League aren't the league's most stellar moments either. One man's opinion. But uh, this, of course, leads us to the story that we've all wanted to cover. Uh, well, at least I've wanted to cover. Guy Gardner number 15, which was cover dated December 1993 with a release date on November 2nd, 1993. Cover price of $1.50 US, $1.95 Canada, and 70 p UK. The title was uh, Trouble with, uh, I'm sorry, The Trouble with Guys Part 2, Collateral Damage. The writer, again, was Chuck Dixon. Yay! Penciler was Chris Hunter. Huh? Inker was Terry Beatty. Colorist, Anthony Tolan. Letter, Albert Guzman. Assistant editor, Eddie Braganza. Editor, Kevin Dooley. And cover art by Joe Staten. Yay! And Terry Beatty. So, we don't get Joe Staten for interior art, which... There you go. <laughs> Filling their eyes with that double vision. The Justice League members, Maxwell Lord... Bloodwind, the Ray, Wonder Woman, Booster Gold, and Blue Beetle, along with Captain Adam, gaze at a second Guy Gardner, who demands that they back away slowly from the fake Guy Gardner so that he can blow him up real good. Uncertain which guy is the real one, the League members are reluctant to comply, so Guy just blasts the pseudo-Guy anyway, knocking him through the sky. Seeing the obvious machismo, Wonder Woman knows that this is the real Guy Gardner and the League take off to search for the fake guy. Real Guy gives the League the short version of what happened in the Yesterday's Sin storyline, letting them know that his clone is just as powerful as he was, but without the forgiving nature. Ironic. The heroes engage in the obligatory New York City Fighting McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, while dropping uh, the real guy off on a sky-rise roof for safekeeping. 
Maxima and Wonder Woman get the upper hand on the fake guy and knock him out. Approaching him, they realize that he's just an empty shell without a soul, and Wonder Woman says for that reason that they can't destroy it. Unfortunately, Pseudo-Guy doesn't have that compunction and blasts the two heroines into the nearby bagel shop. Reveling in his victory, Pseudo-Guy questions if this is the best that Earth has to offer, and gets his answer in the form of a blast from the gun of the real Guy Gardner. Sadly, the blast only serves to anger the Pseudo-Guy, who attacks and pushes the real Guy off the top of the building he was on. Luckily, Blue, Edel, Blue Beetle and his hover El Camino... <laughs> what? We're there to catch Guy, allowing him to give the doppelganger another blast from the gun. Guy tells Beetle to head to Park and 34th, where they'll make their final stand, a plan which Ted Cord doesn't seem too pleased about. Guy tells him just to do it as he takes aim at the yellow streak rocketing towards them. At the last second, Guy nails the, nails the pseudo-Guy one last time, apparently disintegrating him. But what he really did was tag him with the triangulation beam, which zapped him up to the orbiting ship where the Green Lanterns were able to subdue the clone and take back Guy's ring. And with the yellow ring back in its true owner's hands, Guy triumphantly flies into the air. Some time has passed. And Guy is busy explaining... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. So it's all good. And Guy is busy explaining where he actually was and how the captured lanterns helping trap the clone Guy and help him get his ring back. Of course, this being the neutered version of the Gifted Justice League, Guy's story is met with incredulity and yawns, to which Guy says, Yeah, I missed you guys too. The end. So, there's Bridge. What kind of notes do you have for this issue, Michael? Um, I've actually got fewer notes on this issue. I am not too familiar with Guy Gardner in this era. Um... Really, I'm not too familiar with Guy Gardner at all, aside from... I mean, I've, I've read appearances of him when he's guest guest starred in a Justice League title or the Superman books or whatever, and we've been going through his earliest stories over on uh, Green Lantern's Light. But other than that, I just haven't read a whole lot of his solo title. Well, that's, um, that's, that's not uncommon. Uh, I know for the longest time this book was kind of floundering. Uh, it started out pretty big with the Guy Gardner Reborn storyline and the first uh, story arc, the first eight issues. But then after that, it kind of just meandered along, and it wasn't really until it got the uh, new art team and the uh, uh, new uh, writer on it. I mean, not saying that Chuck Dixon isn't a great writer and has done some great stories, but uh, then it started to pick up. But it also kind of went a, if you know the history of Guy, it also went a sort of weird he wasn't a ring aliens team. yes yeah aliens and flesh terminator and uh, i didn't want to know it's weird but yeah go go ahead sorry no that's all right what i'm kind of learning is that and I, I guess i always knew it but guy is one of those characters a lot like um superboy and that when he is in another book that's not his own he turns into this kind of cliche stereotype of uh, an exaggerated, cliched stereotype of how people see him, but when he's in his own title, he's actually given some character and some heart, and it makes a, a much different reading experience when you're actually reading someone who's writing the character rather than the cliche. Yes, and that's that's the thing that I think most people get from reading the 
the Giffen Demetrius Justice League, mm. people's perception of guys from that and him just being this sort of oafish, uh, you know, right wing, uh, brazen stereotype. And uh, I'm glad that he got his story, this his solo story, because you were able to do a lot of fleshing out of the character. And it, it's why I actually really enjoy him as a character over the the main Green Lanterns. And actually, I enjoy – I've started reading the uh, Mosaic storyline, and I'm really getting a lot into the uh, John Stewart character. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of things with his uh, – story and background have been changed as well in the uh in the pre uh new 52 era and up up until so but yeah when when characters are given their own book to uh be written in it always greatly differs from you know when they're in group books it's it's nice to at least have the characters fleshed out a lot more indeed uh, you can cut this part out but i've been meaning to ask you have, did you read the new Origin of Guy Gardner for the new Fifty Two stuff? Uh, we can actually address this because uh, in uh, the last show, I got an email from uh, a listener. I think Scott Davis. I can't remember. I, I want to give him credit, but um, he asked the same thing. If I <sighs> and I haven't read it, I'm really not reading much of the new Fifty Two. Uh, honestly, the only thing I'm really uh, collecting or, or having pulled is uh, All Star Western, which is surprising because I never would have thought that I would have liked Jonah Hex, but <laughs> Gardner, Two True Freaks, uh, when he was doing his Jonah Hex podcast, actually got me interested in the character, and I've uh, started collecting that. But um, uh, Mike on uh, Fortress of Bailitude, Mike has a link to the site called Green Lantern Butts Forever. And I, I know it sounds weird. It's not. It's not just a showcase for pictures of Green Lantern butts. It's a blog run by this person called Sally Pascarell, I believe is her last name. She goes by Sally P. And uh, she did a review of the storyline of uh, the Green Lantern Core Zero, which uh, fleshed out Guy's origins. And it has a lot in common with the Yesterday's Sins storyline that we just covered. Uh, but Raleigh Gardner, Guy's dad, isn't uh, portrayed, I guess, as the sort of abusive drunkard that he was in this storyline. And Guy is more of... He's still a bit of a rebel, but um, I don't know. I, I may go pick it up. It, it sounds interesting, but like I said, I'm just kind of mired in this era of Green Lantern and Guy Gardner, and I, I, I tend to think of this as the canon for the Green yeah. Lantern line. But you know, I've, I've heard that it's good. It's just uh, a little bit different. But you, you expect with the sort of change in the DC universe, the things that came before are going to be a bit different. It, it doesn't all have to be the same. No. Uh, but getting back to the notes, uh, page one, so what happened to Jay Garrick? He was fighting Pseudo Guy, and then we never see him again. And he's not with the Assembled League here. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe he just maybe he got called off to something else. Yeah, I'm I'm looking around. He's nowhere in this issue to be found. Yeah. Page four, Pseudo Guy is sent careening through the city, and we see various shots of the city landscape, um, including a marquee that reads "Superman battles high tech in Metropolis," which is a story that actually did happen right around this time. 
and I remember liking that story, so it, it made me happy to see that. I love the little nods to other books like that. Um, they don't interfere with the story. Mm-hmm. They don't have anything to do with the story, but they help give that feeling of a larger shared universe. Agreed. Yeah, I was actually going to ask about that, whether or not that that was actually something going on, and you just confirmed it. So, awesome. <laughs> uh, page five, panel one, quote of the issue right here. Oh, yes, definitely enough gun. <laughs> uh, jumping ahead to page 12, panel one. This might be a dumb question, but why would Diana's lasso be of no effect against Guy's ring? Um, I don't think it's that... I, I don't think that her, uh, the ring would affect her lasso. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, I, I think she'd be able to use the lasso easily against him. I, I don't see why it would be a problem. Why she couldn't just tie him up and. Yeah. But but this is a a part of the story where it seems out of character for Diana. I mean, she's she's got this person who's brutally killing people, but she realizes that it's a soulless clone. And she feels simply because it's soulless that they can't kill it. And that makes no sense to me. I mean, if it truly doesn't have a soul, it's just it's just an empty shell. So why why allow it to keep living and keep, you know, destroying the city and possibly even keep killing people? So I don't know. Yeah. And even if you don't want to kill it, you can still restrain it to stop it from Oh yeah, the the killing people. Yeah, easily subdue guy. I mean, ring or not. Right. Uh, page seventeen, maybe another dumb question, but is the park and thirty fourth address important to guy for some reason, or was that just a random spot to wait no, I th- while the Green Lanterns pinpointed the location? No, I think it's just a big area. I think okay. it'd be near. See, I don't know the layout of New York City, but I'm thinking it might be somewhere near Central Park. So it may just okay. be a big open area where uh, the Green Lanterns can you know, uh, easily use their teleporter beam to beam the uh, pseudo guy up to the uh, spaceship. Yeah. That's what, that's what my thought was. I don't think it has any, idea, any uh, sort of uh, notoriety other than that. Okay. It, it left me wondering because Guy says that pseudo guy would come, quote, because that's what I would do. And you could kind of take that a couple different ways, so I wasn't really sure. Uh, page 21, it, it's too bad this wasn't the final page of the story. I think in any other comic it would have been. Yeah. But since this is Guy, you've got to have that kind of irreverent comic beat. So we get page 22, which kind of fell flat for me. But It, it did. Um, during this entire period after the sort of – the Giffen, Gus, the Giffen de Mateus Justice League is often – thought as the Bwahaha League, mm-hmm. that it was nothing more than a bunch of jokes and a bunch of ridiculousness. But in all honesty, when the Justice League was on the clock, when they were fighting, when they were out there saving the world, they were a force to be reckoned with. They were as good as the Magnificent Seven Justice League. It's just when they were in the MNC, when they're at home, when they're being... Uh, when they weren't having to be super heroic, they cut up. Mm-hmm. It's more of a sort of sitcom feel. And unfortunately, people like to focus on that. And after Giffen and De Mateus left the issue and uh, they tried to make it serious, 
and that really wasn't working. They also tried to harken back to the sort of comedic beats that Giffen and DeMatteis, you know, put into the book, and it sort of fell flat most of the time. And this is just a a prime example of it just not working. But yeah, I think I think this last uh, or the page twenty one should have been the end to the issue. I mean, did we really need this wrap up with this sort of awkward Booster Gold yawning at guys story? Yeah, I don't know. Overall, though, I thought this was a good issue. I mean, despite my sparse notes, there wasn't really anything I hated about it. I just didn't have much to say about what was there. Uh, really, when you look at it, Guy himself is a pretty small part of the issue because most of it's pseudo-Guy fighting the League. But I, I think I appreciated this issue more than I would have, say, a year ago because my appreciation for Guy is growing thanks to covering his stories over on uh, Green Lantern's Light, and I'm getting a, a bit of a different perspective on the character, which even though he'll probably still never make my top five or even top ten heroes, it's it's nice to see him nice to see in him what people like you do who are big fans of the character. Yeah, well and that's that's kind of what I've wanted to try and bring forth with this show is mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to win people over and make them think that Guy Gardner is the best superhero around because that's not going to happen. But I'd kind of like to dispel the idea that Guy Gardner is nothing more than this brain dead thug who can only get things done by pounding people with his fists. Right. Um, he's he's may not be the most nuanced character. He may not be the most intelligent character. He may not be uh, the most heroic character. But he is a lot more than what he has just been put forward in in the main books that people associate him with. So right. I'm I'm hoping that uh, you know people who listen to the show, if they're not fans of him already, at least accept him a little bit more. And that's all I can hope for. But uh, if you're done with notes, I'll go ahead and hit him with mine. Okay. All right. Um, the big note, I think, is uh, this issue really suffers from the loss of Joe Staten. Uh, throughout my run of the Guy Garden issue, even in Green Lantern when uh, Staten came on to do the uh, Guy and his Nort storyline, uh, Joe Staten has been the artist that I associate the most with Guy Gardner. Even when they move into the uh, later issues with uh, Mitch Bird and Dan Davis drawing Guy, I like those, but Staten will always be the person that gets Guy the most. And no no offense to Chris Turner. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, Chris Hunter, I'm sorry, who drew this uh, issue. It just doesn't feel right without Staten here. I'm glad he got to draw the cover, but again, that kind of harkens back to that Secret Origins issue that I covered with you guys, where <laughs> Brian Boland did the cover, and you're like, oh man, Brian Boland did this cover, it's going to be awesome, and you turn yeah. the page, and it's, oh, it's Ernie Colon. But, uh, like I said, uh, the cover, really great, even though it looks a bit rushed. I mean, Wonder Woman looks good, and Pseudo Guy... Uh, he doesn't have any pupils, which I guess gives him a sort of evil look. But uh, you've got Booster and his ridiculous armor. Oh, I hated that armor from this time. And it looks like a refrigerator. <laughs> he does. I mean, see, the thing is, his armor is not really that different from the stuff that Hal had on 
in the uh, in the pattern issue, but Hal just made it look good. This looks this looks dorky. And he didn't keep wearing it. So he didn't keep wearing it all the time. He wore it to do what he needed to do, which was beat the living crap out of Mongol. And then he said, "Okay, enough of that." Booster obviously, uh, and I know this is also because his armor and his uh, force field and everything was pretty much destroyed in the battle with Doomsday that right. the League had. So understandable, but you no. Know. But it's kind of nice that he and uh, he and Beetle are there cuddling on the on the cup because I always thought boost like that um, let's see uh, the page one I thought it was kind of interesting uh, that the this panel reminds me of that horrible Dwayne Johnson movie doom the sort of first-person shooter perspective and uh, uh, it's kind of neat that they got that oh about oh 10 years prior or maybe 15 years prior to that, but I guess that's kind of neat. Wait, wait, wait. The, the movie Doom was done in first person perspective? There was there were some scenes. I think there was uh, near the end of the movie, there was about I want to say 15 or 20 minutes of it that was done like a first person shooter where you were wow. the person and you saw the gun walking around killing stuff. Now, I've blocked most wow most memories in the movie out, but I do remember that, and I remember the movie not being that good. Um, let's see. Page two, Guy and his big gun on this picture. I'll give Hunter uh, credit here. Guy looks good, and he's got the got the bowl cut good here, but it's... Throughout the rest of the issue, the the artwork just waxes and wanes. Uh, again, on page three, I like the cross promotion uh, about Superman battling high tech. That's kind of neat, and it does, uh, like you said, it does give the idea of a expanded universe. Which nowadays, I don't think, uh, I don't know whether DC does that nowadays. Whether they make reference to the fact that things are going on in one book and things are affecting things in another book. So that that seems to be now Marvel shtick. So. Um, DC has plenty of crossovers. Okay. Yes, unfortunately I have far too many crossovers. Uh, Let's see. Page 5, panel 3. I think uh, Wonder Woman knows this is the real guy. If you uh, draw a line to where Wonder Woman's eyes are looking at, she's she's checking out Guy's big gun, if you... Oh. oh, okay. I had to do thing to possibly get that explicit tag. Well, maybe maybe not that explicit. Um, we talked about, you know, on page 12, the idea of a guy's clone not having a soul, and does that make it evil? It's whatever. It's neither here nor there. Uh, however, on page 16, panel 2, that's... That's not some good art. It, it, no. Got it? No, that's not Guy. That's... that's Steve Buscemi. <laughs> I was thinking more a Chucky doll. It looks... <laughs> it looks like it's come to swallow my soul. It's... <laughs> so on the next panel, Guy is saved by Blue Beetle and essentially a hover El Camino. 
I mean, uh, that's what it, it doesn't look like a truck because the cab is too small. Uh, and, you know, it's got the sort of weird fins and I guess this weird in the back. I, 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 did the bug get destroyed in the in the Doomsday story arc? I don't remember that happening. I don't think so. So why in the world is Blue Beetle flying around in this ridiculous flying X-Wing El Camino? It uh, makes no sense. Uh, moving on, page 20, uh, panels 3 and 4. When uh, the ring gets beamed down to Guy, uh, I don't know whether this is a coloring mistake or whether or not this is just... Uh, uh, an editorial mistake, but in panel three, it looks like Guy has his white gloves on, uh, which he does when he has his uniform on, and then the next panel, he's gloveless. So, just a little nitpick there. Oh yeah, I didn't even notice that. Uh, you know, and I can't really tell. It looks like he might have his gloves on in the in panel three, but just a little nitpick. Um, and yes, page twenty-one. Uh, that's where the issue should have ended. Uh, it's a nice panel of guy flying. It's uh, it, it's a nice design. It's it's not it's not the stereotypical uh, flight thing. He's got his arms out. It looks like he's he's celebrating. He's cheering. So I I really like it. And his spine is broken. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's trying to emulate some of the uh, Catwoman poses. Maybe. Oh, okay. I see. But uh, all in all, this was a issue. It was a nice way to wrap up the uh, storyline that was going on in uh, Yesterday's Sins. And uh, Chuck Dixon, I don't think you can... You know, I, I think if you have Chuck Dixon on the book, you're going to get good stories anyway. Um, sadly, I guess the art really didn't live up to the story, but there you have it. I mean, it's passable. It's not great, but and it's not my cup of tea, but it works. But we're on to uh, bigger and bitter stuff. Uh, and, is is Staten off the book now, or does he come back? Uh, no, Staten is off the book. Okay. Uh, he's off the book until – well, he's – yeah, he's off the book, and we kind of get fill-in artists until I think issue 18, 17 or 18, when it turns to uh, the Guy Gardner Warrior title. Mm-hmm. And we still have Chuck Dixon writing for a few issues, but then we get um, – uh, Mitch Bird and Dan Davis taking up the artwork. Ah. Uh, their fir- uh, ironically, their first artwork for DC uh, was covering the uh, Green Lantern annual for uh, Bloodlines. So, kind of a wow. Start for them. That's not something you you want to put on the resume. Yeah, it's not it's not something you want to promote and say, "Hey, uh, I'm I'm the great artist who brought you Bloodlines. <laughs> Hire me." No. Okay. But no, they they move on to a really interesting art style. They uh, they beef up Guy a bit. I mean, Guy's in through most of the Staten run, he's been sort of lean and mean. And uh, when Mitch Bird and Dan Davis come on to draw and ink him, uh, he gets a bit more more buff. And again, uh, I'll spoil ahead a little. Within the Guy Gardner series, he he loses his ring because of certain things that go on. I'm certain we know what it is. And the the writer who came on, Bo Smith, the manliest man in DC Comics, uh, comes on and writes Guy as a sort of pulp hero character on the lines of a sort of 
well, not Doc Savage, but a sort of adventure character, a sort of Indiana Jones type character. And those first couple of issues is Guy hooking up with this team of adventurers in uh, Buck Wargo, who I guess is a sort of another pulpy type character that I'm not certain if he was created or, or for the book or if he was actually a part of DC continuity. But he's also part of... Uh, teams up with like members of the Blackhawks. I think Lady Blackhawk comes in the story. Hmm. And uh, the story was supposed to be uh, Guy Gardner's sort of adventurer. And in the first couple of issues, he runs into Nazis who have genetically engineered dinosaurs. And these Nazis are right on dinosaurs attacking Guy Gardner. And Guy Gardner and these group of heroes punch out the dinosaurs. <laughs> So, here, all your arguments to whether or not Guy Gardner is cool is invalidated by the fact that Guy Gardner punches out Nazi dinosaurs. Nazi dinosaurs. That's what you can be uh, looking forward to uh, coming issues of Guy Gardner. Uh, and in upcoming issues of Green Lantern, we're obviously going to be dealing next time around with Green Arrow, and then, then things start to fall apart. So... Um, Michael, it has been a joy for me to have you on this episode. I re- oh, thanks for having me on. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell people what you're doing on the internet right now and uh, let people know where they can find you. All right. Um, did you want to do the ads before? Well, I completely forgot about ads. <laughs> go ahead and see what kind of ads. Um, usually I just take from the uh, Guy Gardner book. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let me pull that back up real quick. Let me go ahead and just I'll do a segue in. And well, no, I'll just keep this in. Uh, my screw up is. <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and take a look at the ad. Spontaneous podcasting. Uh, uh, I like uh, the uh, inside front cover with the uh, Adams Family values. Mm. An underrated uh, sequel to the Adams Family, which I think was a, a brilliantly comedic movie. And uh, Raul, Ju- in fact, probably one of Raul Julia's best movies. Now, Adam's Family Values, not quite as good, but I think Raul Julia and Angelica Houston elevate the movie. And Christopher Lloyd is, as uh, Uncle Fester, not bad. <laughs> you, it, it's been a while since I've seen it. I mean, I, I have seen it, but it's been years. See, uh, it's suffered because Adam's Family, the Adam's Family was just so good, and this one just kind of suffered and Christina Ricci, Ricci was growing up and I think at the time she was a lot of uh, young man sort of go-to girl she was I guess the Kristen Bell of her time but uh, yeah not a bad movie uh, moving on we've got Skybox cards for DC Bloodlines yeah uh, certain these are valuable and I guess that's uh, now. Is that a? Do they have all the artists basically drawing the characters? Because it looks like different artists. Because the steel looks like it's a Bogdanov. Uh, it looks like a Jurgens uh, cyborg. And yeah, I don't. I, I don't think it's drawn by one person. I think I think they look. Either that or whoever the artist is is uh, sort of mimicking them. But it looks like just yeah different. Uh, I don't think it's a jam piece. I think maybe just one artist kind of mimicking. Okay, well I could a little bit. Uh, 
next page, uh, I got uh, a match made in hell, which is RoboCop versus Terminator, the video game. And I, they don't say, I guess this is for every video game system, so it was probably out for the NES, Super NES, and the Genesis. So, Do you, do you remember, now, did you play these games? Did you, did you... I was never a gamer. I had a Game Boy when I was like in middle school, but I never had any other gaming systems growing up. See, I had I didn't have the Super NES. I had the Sega Genesis. So, uh, I don't know if I remember this game. Uh, I, I remember the storyline that I think uh, Dark Horse put out, and it was actually kind of interesting. But oh, was there a comic as well? Yeah, I believe there was a. Huh. I believe Dark Horse came out with a, a comic book that basically uh, tied in the idea that RoboCop's cybernetic parts eventually got cannibalized and used in the future to create the Terminators. I think that was Ooh. the line. Yeah, it was an interesting concept. And, uh, eventually, uh, Murphy had to sort of go to the future or something to try and stop that. So, it was... I, I, I think I only read, a, like, the first issue of it. I think it was, like, a four-issue miniseries that Dark Horse did. I can't remember right off the top of my head, but... It looks like an interesting game. Uh, again, we've got more uh, games. Clay Fighter, which was essentially... <laughs> it was Street Fighter with Giant Snowman. So There you go. Yep. Awesomeness in gaming. Well, it, it's it's a fondly remembered game, but uh, yeah, it is just essentially a, a Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat game with more uh, cartoony and less you know, human violence. Uh Again, video games with the, you know, the ads of the time because they've got a big two-page splash of Christmas, uh, uh, Christmas tree with all the Looney Tunes characters promoting their games. And it's, it's interesting that uh, Speedy Gonzalez, the uh, most hated or I guess the least used of the uh, Looney Tunes characters, actually gets his own game. So that's nice. Speedy Gonzalez is always overlooked. Uh, you know, whenever you talk with the uh, when you talk about the Looney Tunes characters, it's always Taz and Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. Speedy is always relegated to like the you know the C list. You know, even though he is essentially the Looney Tunes version of the Flash. So I don't get it. I, I never liked him. Well, I, I liked his I liked his cousin Slowpoke Rodriguez because he, <laughs> all he did to resolve his problems pull out a big gun and shoot you know Sylvester or Daffy in the face. So yeah, there you go. Uh, and again, I don't get this. Uh, there's an ad for the Skid Row No Frills video, so it's the scrape it up off the pavement. Yes, and you get all the uh, fine songs from Skid Row, you know, like, um, that one and oh, in life, yeah, that that's one that they had. Uh, you know, I'm certain if the hair metal hero who I co-host uh, a podcast over on Two True Freaks with was looking at this, he'd be very excited, but as for me, not so much. Uh, Moving on. We've got the American uh, Hot Comics, and I've probably covered a lot of these. This, as you know, is the beginning of the time period where the speculator market started to take over comics, and the back issue market was filled with ridiculously overpriced issues. In fact, um, 
I know, uh, uh, pulling back the curtain, I know we covered this on our first recording of this. <laughs> but uh, you had a story about uh, you picking up uh, Greenlander number 46. Yes. Um, for those who don't listen to my other podcasts, I kind of got into uh, full-on comic book collecting right around the time of Funeral for a Friend, which was the storyline right before Reign of the Superman. Um, I picked up a couple of the issues not knowing the significance of them, but just you know was crazy about them and, and started rapidly collecting anything Superman I could get my hands on. Um, there was one comic shop in the town, in the town I was living in at the time, and I would go in there just about every week, and I would see Green Lantern 46, and they had it during the time and even right after Reign of the Superman, all the books were just ridiculously priced because they were collector's items. Um, but they had Green Lantern 46 bagged and boarded on the counter or on the, the, the rack behind the counter with like a $20, $25 price tag. And even though I was young and, and stupid, I probably should have known better that the price would come down, but – I wanted it every week. I would go in there, and even though I knew I shouldn't spend that much money on the uh, on a comic book, it was like going after the guitar in Wayne's World. I would just go in there and stare at it, and one day it will be mine. So finally, I lost all. What's the word I'm looking for here? Self worth? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I I I bought the comic and. Now you can buy it for fifty cents in the the back issue box, but well, it, I, that's my stupid collector story. I wouldn't feel bad because I can imagine, you know, going up there and seeing something that you want, and uh, you lose all perspective of yes, that within time that all these things will eventually go down in price. If I just wait this amount of time, I'll be able to pick it up for this, and. When you see it every time you go in there, and you see it there, and it's just staring at you, essentially, it's hard not to just go, "I want it now," and and that's what I think. A lot of people on eBay auctions have that now buy it now thing, and I'm certain these people have got this stuff for nothing, and they're making a killing off selling this stuff, and people will buy it. I know uh, right now for. Uh, Walking Dead's a big uh, thing on eBay, and uh, certain early Walking Dead comics are going for hundreds of dollars, especially yeah. if they're like uh, signed or original issues. And uh, I guarantee you, within a couple of years, not so much. So once once the series is ended, once the TV show's done, and the hype has died down, those prices will plummet. Mm-hmm. They will, because there there was enough uh, there was enough of the stuff published that the prices will come down. So yes. that's, a, I'm sorry that you paid 25 or bucks for the issue. Yeah. Not because it's a bad issue, but just because it's a ridiculous amount of money to pay for it. But yes. And in my defense, this was in the pre, well, before the internet got really big and was in, you know, every home and in every school. And I had no way of knowing that, the Superman parts that I was most interested in were basically just repeats from Superman 82, which I already had. So, so yeah, if you weren't a Green Lantern collector, like we mentioned, it was predominantly a Green Lantern book. And the Superman stuff was pretty much 
cut pasted from other stories right. done by a different artist. So, yeah, I can understand how you'd be a bit disappointed. But, uh, yeah, nothing really to say about the... I'm not really seeing anything outrageous in the hot comics. Uh, $10 stuff, maybe XO Man of War. This may be... Uh, I don't think we're coming to the point where the uh, the boom is hit yet, but I'm certain it's probably getting close. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the Guy Talk issue, which, uh, again... Uh, I guess they started out saying that this letter column was written by the evil alien Guy Gardner. So I'm certain the uh, notes here are extra snarky, so look forward to that. And we get a uh, we get a, a little look at what the uh, next issue is going to be about, and I guess there's this character called Militia, which, do you know who Militia is? Do you have any idea? No, should I? Uh, well, he... I'm not going to spoil it, but he has a connection to Guy. Ah. A kind of personal connection. But I'll get to that here in the next couple of issues, and we'll suss that out. Uh, and then... Oh, it's right there in the, in the next issue where they actually talk about... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I won't say who it is, but... Yeah, yeah do they... Yeah, they don't, they don't say who it is, but, you know, it, 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 is, it is someone important to Guy. But uh, final inside page. We've... It's ice, isn't it? I told you not to. No, sorry. Just bleep that out. Okay. I... Um, the uh, back inside cover and the back inside page is a two-page splash for what I've heard is the worst Mario game out there. It's the Super Nintendo version of Mario is Missing. And I know I covered this before, uh, but... Uh... This was, I guess, a sort of Carmen San Diego, you know, that it uh, sucked so horribly it had its own event horizon, basically. They they made a lot of the. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about Nintendo and gaming systems, but just from what I do know, they they would make a lot of these uh, kind of rip off games and just slap Mario's name on it, and there you go. Well, uh, and that's not uncommon for Nintendo. The uh, I think Super Mario Brothers 2 for the actual Nintendo Entertainment System was uh, originally in Japan a completely different game hmm. and was essentially released in North America as Super Mario Brothers 2. They just repurposed the character and changed it to look like Mario, and that's why it's kind of a sort of weird adventure. It's either that one or Super Mario Brothers 3. I think it's Super Mario Brothers 2 that was a repurposed. But then the uh, back outside cover has the game that pretty much defined the gaming system at the time, Mortal Kombat. And there's a bunch of cover copy here describing how awesome the game is. In fact, I think awesome is mentioned oh, about six times in the game. <laughs> uh, but uh, I know you didn't say, you know, I had this for the Sega Genesis, and this was a really... It, it, it was nice because it was a good enough port of the game from the arcade that you didn't really mind. The graphics were uh, almost comparable to what you'd get in the arcade. So yeah. uh, it was really fun. And plus, uh, I don't know whether it came in the uh, little book booklet that came with the game or not, but you could actually enter codes. And I think it was, for the Sega, you 
hit A B A C A B A. It was Abacab, the uh, Genesis song. If you type that in on your keypad, uh, you'd get the uh, bloody mode. So you could actually hit them, and blood would fly. And oh wow! Yeah, the, uh, the uh, finishing was like you know shattering people with ice or. Uh, I think one of them ripped their head off. It was the brutality of Mortal Kombat that eventually, you know, got it banned by... I, I think it was pretty much one of the games that brought forward the whole video game rating system. Mm. So, but uh, that's it for the uh, for the uh, ads. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> I take time to admit that I was an idiot and forgot about the ads and ask you, Michael, to tell us all uh, what kind of stuff you are known for doing on the internet. Uh, if Well, that's an awkward way to phrase that. <laughs> um, oh, but no, thank you for having me on. This this has been a lot of fun. Um, most germane to Green Lantern, I guess, would be Green Lantern's Light, which I it's a monthly show that I co-host with Jeffrey Taylor and J. David Weeder. Um, on that show, we're Covering basically what is the era before the era that Sean covers here. We started with Green Lantern 172 from 1983, um, which, by the way, I looked up before we started recording, and it was released one month and four days shy of exactly ten years before the Green Lantern issue that we just talked about. Neat. Uh, but anyway, we started with Green Lantern 172, we covered all of the Len Wein, Dave Gibbons era, and now we are about halfway through the Steve Englehart, Joe Staten era, which, despite a rocky start and a much maligned storyline involving Carol Ferris and the Predator, neither of which are completely Englehart's fault, to be honest, uh, but it's been pretty awesome. Sean was on episode 13 a month or so back, where we looked at... Um, among other things, the Secret Origins issue featuring Guy Gardner. And if I've got my dates correct, episode 14 should have been out for about a week by the time you're hearing this. Um, and then in episode 15, we'll be adding the Keith Giffen, J.M. Demetrius era of Justice League to our coverage because Guy is a major part of that. So lots to look forward to there. That'll be awesome. I didn't know you were going to cover the the Giffen Demetrius Justice League. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about that. Cool. Yeah, we're we're not sure how in depth we're going to go with it. We're at least going to cover the guy parts. Um the guy Gardner, let me let me say that again. We're <laughs> at least going to cover the guy Gardner parts. Um <laughs> That's it, <me>. Wow. <laughs> wow. <sighs> <laughs> I'm not editing that out. That's staying there. That's okay. <laughs> I I knew the job was dangerous when I took it. So, um, but we're at least going to cover the Guy Gardner uh, sections of the story and and anything else that uh, hits us as noteworthy. Um, but my other podcast is a solo show called The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, where I am looking at the Man of Steel's Golden Age adventures. I started with. Action Comics number one, obviously, and have been going through every Superman story in the various media. Right now, it's comic books, two forms of newspaper strips, and radio, uh, tracing the history and development of the character. Currently, I'm winding down 1940, so once I get into 1941, I'll be adding the Fleischer cartoons and uh, World's Finest Comics as well. That show has been a lot of fun. I've been doing it for... Almost two years now, and 
episodes have been a lot more sporadic since the fall because I I changed positions at work and just haven't been able to find the energy and the time to devote to that show. But still, it's uh, it, it's my baby. It was my first podcast, and there there's little doubt in my mind that if it weren't for Superman, I wouldn't be reading comics at all today. So I really enjoy that show. Well, and the, if I may actually praise your show it is really oh, you may you may praise it all day long sir well uh, the show is really great it covers an era of superman that i really didn't have any idea about uh, i didn't know how um the character evolved you know my knowledge of superman is pretty much from the bronze age forward and hearing these golden age stories are just really interesting. And my favorite part of it is actually the radio dramas, uh, hearing Bud Collier, uh, advances, uh, in his acting ability of doing Superman and getting more into the character is, is awesome. And, um, especially recently you covered the one where Jimmy Olsen actually meets Superman for the first time. And, uh, yeah. the, how he interacts and that the Jimmy was actually the first person to really interact with Superman because generally in the radio shows it would be you know uh, an explosion would happen and everyone would be knocked out and then Superman would come in and save everyone or Lois would uh, run off and then Superman would fly in and do his super deeds and there was never really much interaction with the the main characters of Lois and Jimmy or whoever and Superman. Uh, but we finally got to that one point where Jimmy met with Superman and he had that talk with him mm-hmm. and it was just uh, it was just child wish fulfillment. It was just perfect. And it, it was uh, it, it was actually a really uh, heartwarming and emotional scene. It was it was great that they were able to do that. And I was glad that you actually recorded or had the audio put into the podcast because it actually was great to actually hear them do that. Yes. For low budget kid kids entertainment in nineteen forty, it was just it was very well done. Like you said, it was a very uh heartwarming scene. Just especially from our perspective as as modern listeners, knowing the future that these two characters have and, and knowing the place that Jimmy has in the Superman mythology, it was it was just great hearing that very first meeting of the two characters. Well, and it's nice that Jimmy Olsen is kind of the first person to actually really interact with Superman. I mean, yeah, in modern, the radio show, yeah, and the in the red because as modern day readers and listeners, we're used to Superman being the forefront with everyone. I mean, everyone interacts with him, and in the radio show, hardly anyone did, and until Jimmy did, uh, and, and Jimmy being the first one to really have an actual interaction with him was. Uh, just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's it. Podcasting wise, um, if I can plug one more thing, definitely. I also have a blog called Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, which celebrates the the lives and works and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Uh, Siegel and Schuster are best known as the creators of Superman, and rightly so. But both of them, Siegel especially, contributed so much more to comics that is a lot of times ignored or or just overlooked. So I started a blog to kind of help put that out there. Um, I post fairly regularly. I look at issues or I post 
artifacts and trivia, different stuff about their work, you know, random panels, just lots of fun stuff. And I've got other ideas for down the line as soon as I find the time. But there's a lot of stuff there now, so please check it out. Oh, definitely. And now, um, let me ask you this. I was reading uh, one of the blogs. Uh, Siegel did uh, a Spectre issue. Now, uh, did Siegel he created? Schuster... He co-created Spectre. I was going to say. I was going to ask you that if he co-created that. So there's another major mm-hmm. uh, DC character that Siegel is known for, or is probably lesser known for creating. And oddly enough, uh, the Spectre, eventually in Green Lantern mythology comes in to uh, play over here, but yes. that's that's a long way down, down the line. Yeah, but it, a lot of that stuff just gets ignored or overlooked because they say, well, he never did anything as big as Superman. Mm-hmm. Well, how many people have done things as big as Superman? You that's know? true. So. Very true. Well, uh, Michael, again, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, please know that you're always welcome back. If there's ever an issue that you'd like to be on, uh, drop me an email, and I'd love to have you on the show. It's All right, happy. well, Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Okay. Well, that's it for this week. Unfortunately, I'm going to mention, as I usually do with these issues, that neither of these issues have been reprinted in trade paperback form in any way, shape, or form. Wasn't 46? Oh, now I take that back. Yes, 46 was uh, probably in the omnibus. Or At least parts of it. I Well, I don't know, though. I, I think I think they may have in the, uh, in the new... Uh, Death and Return Omnibus, because mm. I know that they're supposed to be coming out with a new one, because I knew uh, Michael Bailey over at From Christ to Crisis uh, really decried the fact that the uh, the original Death and yeah. Return Omnibus left a lot of stuff out. So uh, hopefully this issue, the Green Lantern issue, may have been reprinted. But my hope is that eventually these will be uh, for sale digitally in uh, – the Comixology app. I know that they've already released uh, issues one through ten of this on Comixology, and they've got a few issues of Guy Gardner. I think uh, like the Zero issue. So, mm. you know, it, slowly but surely they're making the stuff out. So, I think it's a nice way for people to get good quality copies of the comics without having to go back issue hunting. I mean, it'd be nice if they would compile them into like you know blocks of it but that's neither here nor there. and it, it lets dc make money off of because that's they're true. not making money off the back issue market that's true it's it's you know it's a win-win for dc either way so yeah if they put it out in a quality format i would be willing to promote that wholeheartedly but thanks again for having that for having me on for coming on my show michael you're welcome back on this show anytime show. <laughs> well thank you for having me And uh, I hope the rest of you will come back uh, next week for another issue of Just One of the Guys. Until then, we'll see you next weekend. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyrighted to respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the Murray tropes in the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to the point. Feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. 
The website address for the show can be found at just one of the guys, all one word, dot Libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys Podcast. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's show was Waiting for a Superman by the Oklahoma Zone, The Flaming Lips, off their album Soft Bulletin. Again, if you'd like to get this song, and The Flaming Lips are awesome, definitely get some of their stuff, I would prefer that you go to Amazon.com through the Two True Freaks site, located at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com. At the top of the page, there's an Amazon.com banner. Go ahead and click on that, which will take you to Amazon.com the most amazing site on the internet where you can purchase the song, download the song, or purchase the CD. There's also a myriad number of things that you can purchase for whatever purposes you want. And whenever you purchase through the Two True Freaks link at twotruefreaks.libson.com, a small small amount of money goes back to the freaks to make sure that their shows stay on the air. Okay. Next next issue is is the last Gerard Jones issue, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And that's... It's disappointing because I, I went ahead and, and uh, I, I haven't been really reading ahead on stuff. You know, mm-hmm. most of the stuff I've read, and I've got uh, I've got paper copies of all of the stuff up to about 125 in Green Lanterns, and I've been looking for actual paper copies of the stuff after that. But I've got digital copies of uh, all that stuff, so if need be, I can do the synopses of those shows. Uh, from the CPRs. Right. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, I really, I, I would really like to see if I could get with Gerard Jones and talk to him about this, but I kind of get the feeling that the Green Lantern storyline or him on the Green Lantern book is kind of a, a touch, maybe not a touchy subject, but a sort of, well, yeah, maybe a touchy subject with him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, when he, uh, I've read a couple of excerpts from uh, books of his, and he comments about how he was working on Justice League issues and Superman issues and stuff like that, but he never really talks about uh, this run on Green Lantern, mm-hmm. and that's odd because at the time he was writing the primary Green Lantern book, he was writing uh, episodes, in, or he was writing uh, short stories in the Green Lantern Quarterly every once in a while. He was doing the Guy Gardner solo series. Uh, he was doing the Mosaic series. He was basically Jeff Johns of the 90s. You know, and, and that's, a good, that's a good quote. We should have had that in the show. In the art, do you have the issue in front of you? <coughs> yes. Look at page four. Okay, I have 83. Yeah. Here. Wonder Woman's pose in that last panel is really stiff and awkward. Yeah, it is. And that's just one example. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, well, and if you look at her in the in that first panel of the same page, it, <laughs> it looks like a Wonder Woman blow-up doll. Yes. 
It's a it's a yeah. Wonder Woman sex doll. Ah. It's even worse over on page 19. Oh, jeez. Let me check that out. Get there. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to unsee that. Again, uh, if you ever want to come up, because I know um, here in the Kyle era, there's... Uh, I know he has to deal with Mongol about issue 52 or 53. Yeah. I, yeah, I actually have those issues somewhere. I mean, I've got them all, but I've actually read those ones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've read, you know, I I was, I think what happened was around issue 125, uh, you know, because uh, I think that was about the time that my wife and I started actively trying to have kids and so I kind of felt, well, oh, I'm trying to have kids. I, I need to be mature now, so I've got to give up collecting comics. And I think that's kind of, well, yeah. Well, obviously, now I've got two kids and you know a, a house and a mortgage and a car payment and a family and everything. And I'm doing a goofy podcast about a character, a ginger character with a bowl cut. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> 